Take your Bibles. Turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John. We begin this morning a series that I've entitled Words of Life from Jesus. We're not going to cover every passage in John's Gospel. We're going to concentrate on those incredibly rich chapters in the heart of John's Gospel, chapters 4 through 15, that give us this unusually concentrated dose of words teaching from Jesus. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes I can find in my kind of personal devotional reading of the Bible, I can find myself thinking, where is a place I can go to feed my soul? I'm wanting something unusual, something special for my soul. I know all of God's Word is good, but I'm looking for something to feed me in a particular way to really nourish my soul, and this is one of the places I often go. As I scroll through kind of the table of contents of Scripture in my mind, thinking, where can I go for something rich and satisfying for my soul? This is a place I often go, these ten or so chapters in the heart of John's Gospel, with Jesus speaking directly to his followers, these words of life. And this is where we're going to be in these next weeks ahead And I am, as I told you a few weeks ago, I'm so eager for us to experience this together. In fact, I want to just very consciously link this to that idea that was so on my heart for you at the beginning of the year that this same Jesus that we see here in the Gospels, this same Jesus that we're going to hear, we're going to see, is the Jesus who presently cares for you whom we have, remember this? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed into heavens, Jesus, this Jesus. Let us then draw near with confidence. Here's the question. Can we know Jesus as he really was, as he really is? How do we come to know a person who lived on the earth 2,000 years ago. I mean, many people will say, you you can't. There's no access to him. He's kind of buried back there in history. But we believe that he rose from the dead with an indestructible life. That's how the author of Hebrews describes him, with an indestructible life. And he now lives, and we can come to him. And we believe that the words he spoke are still living and are a means by which we can know him and share in the life that he gives. These are actually words of life from Jesus to us. Just listen to some of the things that Jesus says in this gospel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Chapter 5, verse 21. A little later, Jesus, speaking to some of the religious leaders, says this, You you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. I am the bread of life. Chapter 6, verse 48. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10, verse 10. Listen, this is what John's gospel is all about. This is what I'm so eager for us to experience together over the next 12 weeks. So let's use today to get the big picture. You know, sometimes an author will come right out and show you the big picture. He'll tell you what his book is about, what he's trying to get done. He'll actually explicitly announce his purpose. John is one of those kinds of authors. He does that. I want you to look with me near the end of his book, the Gospel of John, turn with me to John chapter 20 and find verse 31. I actually want us to look closely this morning at three different places in John's Gospel. This is the first one, John chapter 20, verse 31. I'm going to start at verse 30. Now, Jesus, here's John coming to the end of his Gospel, kind of summarizing things. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is written so that you might believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that by believing that you might have life in his name named the Gospel of John. You know this already. The Gospel of John is this wonderful collection of scenes from the life of Jesus. And it it culminates, as we know, in the death and resurrection. But leading up to that, John has collected here these signs, as he calls them, and sayings of Jesus. In fact, many people organize the Gospel of John according to the seven signs and the seven I am sayings. Seven signs, turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana, chapter 2. Healing the official's son, chapter 4. Healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, chapter 5. Feeding the 5,000 with five little loaves and two fish, chapter 6. Walking on water on the Sea of Galilee, chapter 6. Healing the blind man, chapter 9. Raising Lazarus from the dead, chapter 11. Seven signs, miraculous signs, and seven I am's. I am the bread of life, chapter 6. I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am the door, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, chapter 10. I'm the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. I am the vine, chapter 15. Seven I am's. And all of that, according to this verse, John 20, 31, all of that is designed to help us see and believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing we might have life. You know, there's this phrase that shows up later in the Bible. It's actually from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this young pastor named Timothy, and he tells Timothy to instruct the wealthy people in his congregation he instructs Timothy, tell them, don't put, your, don't put your hope in your money. There is no hope there. Instead, he says, tell them, Timothy, to be generous, to be ready to share, and to be rich in good works. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he ends that section by saying this, so that, tell them all that, Timothy, so that they may take hold of that 
which is truly life. In other words, there is a life that is truly life. You hear that, and it makes you realize that there's also a way of living that is not truly life. There's a way of living that is truly life, and there's a way of living that's pretend life. It's empty life. It's fake life. It's false life. There is real life, and there's not real life. There's deep life, and there's shallow life. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life, real life, and have it abundantly. And I think, I think we get this. I mean, if you are reflective at all, and I believe every human being is reflective, we've been made by God to think about our lives, we can't help but think about what they mean and where they're going. Yes, often we just go about kind of occupied with our daily business, and yet every one of us reflects now and then. Maybe it's while you're driving Maybe it's while you're laying in bed at night trying to go to sleep. Maybe it's when you wake up first thing in the morning and you wonder, where's my life going? Am I living life? If you are not a Christian, it usually comes in this form. Is this all there is? Isn't there more to life than this? But if you are a Christian, it comes in the form of, am I truly living the life that Jesus has given me? Or am I distracted by stuff and by the concerns of this world such that I'm not really living that life. There is a life that Jesus came to give and it's, folks, it's not just out there in the future. You know, heaven after I die. It's real life now. When we turn to Jesus and receive from him this gift of life, we enter into it now. Now it does last forever, and at some point before long it will turn into this fully realized experience of perfect joy that will last forever. But right now, Jesus has life. And that's what this gospel is all about. This was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life and have it to the full. So now let me take you to the second place I want us to see this morning. Turn back now to the very beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1. And I want to read just a few verses there at the very beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1. Let me read verses 1 through 4. I hope you're marking up your little scripture journal. Use them. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now listen to this. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him is life, and that life is the light of men. You know, you read that verse, or you hear it read, and that sounds like it's saying something really profound, doesn't it? In him is life, and that life is the light of men. But what does that mean? Well, the first part's pretty clear. In Jesus was life. He has life in him that he's now bringing. But what does that second part mean? That life was the light of men. Well, Jesus brought that life, yes, in his deeds, healing the blind, healing the lame, in his feeding of the hungry, in his raising of the dead, but he brought that life primarily in his words. 
directing people to himself. I am. Come to me. Such that when those words were rightly understood and absorbed, they gave life. And that life, John says here, turns the lights on in people's lives. So just imagine walking into a dark room. You can't see a thing. You know there's stuff in there. You know there's kind of a reality in that room. You can't see it, so you're, kind of, you're trying to make your way. You're bumping into things. You, you're trying to live, and you can't see anything. And then someone turns the lights on, and you say, oh, now I see reality. Jesus gives life, and that life turns the lights on so that now we can see reality, what the world's all about, what the meaning of my life is, what my purpose is. The thing that we need in order to see and understand our existence and our purpose is in him. He has the key. It's him that turns it on. It's him that starts it up. He ignites the spark such that something new comes into being. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Jesus told Nicodemus early in this gospel, chapter 3, he said to him, and he insisted on it, you must be born again. You must be given new life, and that life is available only through Jesus. That's what this verse, right at the beginning of John's gospel, is saying. In him is life, and that life is going to be your light. So, You've seen something at the end of John's gospel. All this was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life. And we've seen something at the beginning of the gospel. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. So let me take you now to one more place. Not exactly in the middle, but kind of. Turn with me to chapter 6. It's the main place I want us to look at this morning. John chapter 6. Now, it's important that I set this up just a little bit. On one occasion, about a year after Jesus entered into his public ministry, he was with his disciples on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, Uh, maybe 15, 20 miles away from his home in Capernaum, along the top, over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's there. Jesus had gone there to try to actually get away, to try to get some time alone with his disciples, but somehow word had gotten out. I mean, because of his reputation as a miracle worker, it, it, it became virtually impossible for him to go anywhere undetected. So sure enough, as Jesus and his disciples get out of their boat and they start working their way up the hillside, they're overlooking the Sea of Galilee. They see coming behind them a gathering crowd. In fact, it's quite a crowd. And Jesus with compassion in his heart, both for their physical needs and for their spiritual needs, he knows immediately what he's going to do. He's going to feed them. He'll provide them with bread, and by so doing, he's going to create an opportunity to talk with them about their spiritual needs, to speak with them about spiritual food and spiritual life, which is what he does. He, he instructs his disciples to have all of the people there sit down on that grassy hillside, It's a wonderful story. You can read about it there at the beginning of chapter 6. And he takes this little lunch from this boy. Five little loaves that his mama made for him that day. And two fish. And he takes that 
And with those, he miraculously provides for everybody. And the people, understandably, are amazed. Their hearts are drawn to Jesus. They, they, wanted, they want to make him something. I mean, it's clear he's somebody special, and they want to be around him, and they want him to be around them. But Jesus, realizing what they're up to, he slips away by himself. He goes further up into the hills, away from the crowd. Evening comes, and the 12 disciples, not knowing what else to do, they go back down to the shore, they get in their boat, and they head back home over to Capernaum on the other side. And on the way back home, they encounter a squall, just a a very rough wind comes sweeping down and hits them out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And after rowing for a long time, they're out in the, the, the treacherous waters. They're finally nearing their destination, and they see Jesus walking. And he's not walking on the shoreline. He's calmly walking toward them on the water. They are understandably a little unnerved. He tells them, don't be afraid. He gets in the boat with them, and immediately they're at their destination. Now, the next day, it gets really interesting. The crowd that had been there on the eastern shore was hoping that Jesus would come back down out of the hills. They're waiting for him. They had seen one boat, and they knew Jesus hadn't gotten in that boat, so they're expecting him to show up. But after waiting and Jesus not showing up, they conclude that he must have headed along the shoreline back over to Capernaum. So they too head over to Capernaum hoping to find him there and they do find him. It's the Sabbath and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And now with crowds just overflowing in that, that building and gathered all around the outside of that building, Jesus teaches so that all could hear and a different kind of feeding than what happened the day before takes place. Far more important feeding. Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life. And that whoever comes to him and believes in him would have true life. He speaks to them. He takes his time. He makes it very clear he has come to give life. And as he's teaching, what he's saying begins to sink in to people's hearts and minds, they get it, and someone says, that's enough. He's gone too far. What he's saying is blasphemy. No one can make those kinds of claims except God. And Jesus knows this is going to happen. In fact, as he's teaching, he pauses and he says, is this offensive to you? Look at verse 61. Chapter 6, verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples, by the way, that word is not talking about the 12. We'll see that very clearly in a moment. That word is talking about all of these people who have followed him. It might be better to translate that word there. His followers, they're grumbling about this, and they, he said to them, do, do you take offense at this? And as a result, the people, many people, who were following him, they begin to leave. Look at verse 66 now. After this, many of his disciples turned back, again, those followers, and no longer walked with him. 
this crowd that had been so enthusiastic, so eager to see Jesus and be with Jesus. I mean, the minute he makes a claim on their lives, the minute he calls them, the minute he says to them, listen, you are not alive unless you come to me to have life. They've heard enough. They don't want anything more to do with that. And so they leave. And as Jesus is watching these people go, no doubt with great sadness in his heart, he turns now to the 12. Look at verse 67. And he says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? You've heard everything I've said. You've heard me say, I'm the bread of life and you're going to be dead until you come to me. Do you want to go away? Is this offensive to you? And Peter answered, verse 68, I think this is one of the most beautiful moments in this entire gospel. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Peter was not saying, hey, we've heard your teaching about life. No, he says, we've been with you long enough to know your words are life to us. I'm different. The lights have been turned on in my life. I see now your words are life to me. Jesus had said it right here. Look back up at verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. What I say is life-giving. I have life in me, and I have the authority and the power to give life. In fact, that's why I've come, that you might have life. That's why I'm sharing my words with you. I said this a moment ago. Let me say it again. Jesus' words, rightly understood and absorbed, taken in, generate life. And his disciples knew it. At least one of them did. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You, Jesus. So let me try to wrap this up. I'm going to come at this from a little different angle here. I believe that what the world needs more of is Christians who are joyful and cheerful and fully alive. Sadly, I think the world has experienced Christians who are alarmed and angry and fearful and despondent and sometimes grumpy. But if we're cheerful and joyful, people might start to wonder if we know something that they don't about what is really true and how things are really going to turn out, which we know, don't we? I mean, surely it is profoundly Christian to live in this world out of a place of deep gladness and real aliveness. Listen, God intends for his people to be alive and to be glad that they're alive with joy in our hearts. Not a joy that is self-generated, something we drum up because, you know, that's what Christians are supposed to be like but something that is there because Jesus gave us life. He made us alive. Something that is untouchable by circumstances. Now, that, let's not misunderstand this. That doesn't mean we don't feel things or experience things in this world like sadness 
No, Jesus identifies with us in our weakness. He bore our sorrow. But there is life, real life, and it's in Jesus, and we are not attempting to live a life of our own devising. And we have, like Peter, we've rejected the illusion that there are multiple paths to that life. Where else could we go? Jesus, you have the words of life. So, my dear friends, I'm inviting you over the next 12 weeks, let's journey together through John's gospel. And let's hear the words of Jesus and let us receive these words. They, they will be life to us. Jesus means them to be life to us so that we might actually live the life that is truly life. To his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book you've given us. Thank you particularly for this Gospel of John. And God, we pray, would you open it for us? I think about the opportunity that we have during the week. God, I pray even this week that you would get us in the Word and whet our appetites. As we gather again next Sunday, Lord, I pray for your protection over us. Yes, physically, but God, I pray your protection over this body spiritually. Would you guard us and guide us and nourish us by your word? And as we gather, Lord, I pray together we would rejoice and delight in these words. So that when we scatter, there will be witness by our lives, in our words, in our joy, even in our grief. We are those who do not grieve without hope. And so, Lord, I pray, help us live in this life according to these words, words of life from our Lord. Thank you, we pray in his name. Amen.